Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Clay on the Stage podcast. Who's excited? I know, I'm always yelling. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, a speaker, and founder of the Speaking School for Women, which is an online training program for women who want to become pro speakers. And as I've kind of been mentioning over the last three or four episodes, I also run the Speaker Sisterhood, which is a network of speaking clubs for women. And I want to take a minute to tell you a little bit about this because I know I've been mentioning it lately here and there, sort of like sprinkling some breadcrumbs around, but I haven't really gotten into what it is. So I want to take a second in today's episode because we are in episode 30. Hello. What, how did that happen? And first say, wow, and thanks for listening. And I'm so excited that this every day the podcast is growing, the audience is growing. I'm getting really great emails from so many of you. And since we're all here, why not tell you about another cool thing I'm working on? So the Speaker Sisterhood is it's, yes, when you say it quickly, it is a network of speaking clubs for women. But what it really is, is a safe space for a tribe of like-minded women to come together every other week for a couple of hours and practice sharing their truth and building confidence in their message and getting used to sharing their voice and It's such an incredible experience to be in a meeting with 15 women who are completely vulnerable, courageous, supportive, empowering, open, and just putting it all out there in the name of becoming a stronger speaker and leader. And every time I leave a meeting, I feel like I could do anything. (laughs) Like it's the best feeling in the world to be part of this. And the way that the clubs work is there are a couple of women who give a, a planned speech, usually a five to 10 minute speech. They get feedback from the group. And then we spend a bunch of time doing impromptu speeches to give everyone an opportunity to build up their skills and get used to just being on the spot and speaking. And the stories people are sharing are just so moving, so personal, so inspiring. The, the work that's happening in these clubs is just, I've never seen anything like it. You know, I'm just really blessed and really lucky to be part of this. And I can't wait to expand these clubs around the world. We just started in August and with one club, and now there are six clubs in my area because there's just so many people who want to join and we're launching four more in December and there are more to come. So, uh, You'll hear more about it, but you should check out my website. Go to AngelaLucier.us and click on Speaking Clubs, and you'll get more information about the clubs. And if you live in an area outside of Western Massachusetts and you're listening and you're thinking, wow, that sounds really cool. I'd love to have a club like that. You should contact me, and we can talk about what that would look like to set one up because I'm building a whole licensing program where you know women can just start their own club and I'll give you all the training and the curriculum and you'll be good to go and you can build your own awesome experience. So be sure to get in touch with me if you want to check that out. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh the show today here is sponsored by McNally Communications, training you to get results by speaking, writing and presenting with more impact. You can say it better and they'll show you how. Find them at mcnallycommunications.com. And Name Net Worth is a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. They developed an app that makes networking really easy. You can get more information at namenetworth.com. Okay, on today's show, I have a very special guest, a friend of mine who is just such a special lady who has so many talents, and every time I talk to her, I just feel like I walk away a wiser person, and I hope that that is what happens to you today. My guest is Kara Snyder, also known as the Pooh Whisperer, and you'll find out why. (laughs) Her story is amazing. And we sort of zigzag all over the place in this interview, but it's because Kara has so many gifts. And instead of going in just one direction with with this interview, I thought, why don't we talk about a bunch of different stuff? So you'll learn all about her career path, her advice for speakers, some really cool projects she has going on, and a whole lot more. I'm sure you will leave this episode feeling inspired and with a lot more information that could help you in your business and in your life by the time it's over. So without further ado, my interview with Kara Snyder. 
Kara Martin-Snyder is the owner strategist over at Vital Core, a health and lifestyle studio located at the three-way intersection of functional health, self-care, and strategic action. Her clients have even referred to her as the poo whisperer or their secret weapon. Kara's not your run-of-the-mill woo-woo wellness coach, though. She has the classroom and professional creds that many health coaches have, but she's also got an arsenal of badassery stemming from her experience in the boardroom, kitchen, and personal experience with the effects of chronic stress, namely irritable bowel syndrome. Additionally, she's the creator and host of Levi Core Salon podcast. Serving frazzled type A women since 2009, Kara deconstructs the broken processes in her clients' lives, investigates why they might feel not so great, and co-creates actionable steps towards a healthier life, a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. I love that. Her work has been featured in Prevention, The Wall Street Journal, and Fortune Magazine, among others. Kara, welcome to the show. Hey, Angela. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> we have like 700 things to talk about. And when I was thinking about having you on the show, I was like, what, what are we going to focus on? Because Kara's good at everything. And when we go for walks or we go out for lunch, I feel like we talk about 35 to 40,000 different topics over the course of like an hour. So I have so much to ask you about. And I figure we'll just kind of zigzag around and... I think a, a good place to start might be just getting a little bit of your background. Like you have such an interesting story and the fact that you serve frazzled type A women is is interesting because you understand that life all too well. So can you tell us kind of how you ended up here today? <laughs> That's a huge question, but let's see if I can break it down a little. So, you know, you heard from my bio for the last seven or so years, I've been working with predominantly women. I mean, there there are a few men that sneak through here and there. But for the most part, I speak to frazzled type A women because, I mean, to be quite honest, it takes one to know one. And and that was me. And that and this wasn't always the work that I did when when I got my start out of college. You know, I was a I I started as a CPA. I sat for the exam. I did you know, I did all the studying. I went and got my CPA license in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. You know, I was doing all the right things and busting my ass. And what I realized, you know, sort of looking back as I was making the transition to health and lifestyle strategist, I've made a long career of turning around chaotic, painful situations. And so early in my career, I did that as a consultant on high profile bankruptcy cases. And then, you know, eventually when the travel and the 80 to 100 hour weeks got to me, um, started downshifting my career. And as I also started upshifting what I understood I was good at and and then eventually sort of making my way out of finance, but still turning around chaotic, painful situations, except this time on a really more personal level for people. How did you decide to get into health coaching? Um. <laughs> The gory, God's honest truth was the lifestyle I was living, especially starting in in the bankruptcy and trouble debt restructuring. I mean, it's it's most of my clients were really high profile. So you had a bunch of stressed executives and managers and even employees who saw a bunch of suits roll into a conference room with the door locked all the time, wondering if they were going to lose their jobs. You know, I've I've in one role, done an analysis that unfortunately, you know, did lead to some cuts for in terms of jobs. And then I would go to the bathroom and counsel some of the women that were crying because, you know, they were terrified that they were going to lose their job and they had just had a baby or they had just signed a new lease or they had just signed a mortgage. So it was, um, it was pretty grueling work. And, and mostly I worked with all men in this sort of pressure cooker environment. So the level of sexual harassment and misogyny and sexism that I saw was also stomach churning. And so by my, I would say mid twenties, um, the effects of that chronic stress and chronic lifestyle, you could probably call it resulted in irritable bowel syndrome, which 
is sort of a diagnosis of exclusion. Like it's not any of these more serious conditions, but we don't really know how to fix you is kind of the message that I was getting from my doctor. Wow. And so, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was frustrating and just being handed a lot of prescriptions and feeling like this, like, I don't know if I want to take prescriptions for the next 75 years of my life. Right. Like, I, I just, I want to understand this. And so, you know, initially at first it was me and this is, you know, here I am, this like four foot 11, you know, at the time I was probably about 130 pounds, but these days I'm about a hundred pounds, you know, sitting on in first class, like flying back and forth from wherever my clients were, you know, typically Monday through Friday. And I had racked up all these points. So here I was sitting with a bunch of often middle-aged men also commuting. And here I am with my, all these books on human anatomy, the digestive system, self-help, nutrition, covered in brown paper bags because I just didn't want to make conversation <laughs> about why I was reading about human anatomy on my business trip. Um, and that, you know, that started my own sort of healing process where I was like, all right, if the, the people like my doctor are not going to be able to give me answers or have the time to explain this to me, I'm going to have to get myself educated and understand this if I, if, if I want to pursue this other alternative that does not involve, um, big pharma Mm -hmm. really. And so that was, I mean, that was really the the nexus of it. It was my own healing journey. And then people starting to say, wow, you lost all this weight. Wow, your skin looks better. Wow, you look good from the last time I saw you. Wow, you're quitting your, you're, you're quitting your job? <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> Is that how you became known as the poo whisperer because of your experience with IBS? Um. Partly, yeah, because as I started helping my clients that were often coming to me with with that as a condition, like I've been to a bunch of doctors, no one can really give me an answer on what to do, and and we're able to turn it around. I mean, just a success story from this year, I had a client who, when I asked her how long she had been dealing with constipation in her life, it turns out when we went back through her health history, it was like I think it was 42 years What? and yeah. And within about, and this is, and this is, she did a lot of work and bravely dove into making changes to her diet and was really willing to go there with me. And we were able to turn it around in about four months time. Wow. So can I ask what that process is like, or is it going to be different for everybody to kind of figure out? What yeah, I wish I wish there was some magic magic answer that I could give everyone. Um, it's different for every person. So I do a really comprehensive health history with people and looking at diet and rest and sleep and exercise and stress management and also social relationships, which is kind of akin to the functional medicine model where you're looking at things just outside of straight nutrition and exercise and and the medical model and sort of just identifying where there's gaps. And so it it does look different. But if any of those five pieces that I kind of mentioned are significantly off, it's it's almost going to be impossible to have that foundational health in place. I have a question, and this is something I think about all the time, and I haven't articulated it yet, so I'm going to see if I can do it. Um, My sleep is not consistent. I'll go to bed at the same time every night. I I mostly try to sleep like 10 to 6, and I often wake up between 3 and 4 a.m., and I've come to realize that that's because of a series of different reasons. And if I do wake up in the middle of the night, I can usually pinpoint what happened the day before that led to that. It's usually uh, particularly anxiety creating day. Maybe I had like a big talk I was going to give, or I had a really difficult conversation with someone, or I like overbooked myself that will lead to waking up in the middle of the night. Um, Another thing is if I don't exercise, I've like, I haven't dealt with my, my physical needs or my energy. Another is the week before my period. I always wake up in the middle of the night. And if I drink any amount of alcohol, I wake up in the middle of the night. And sometimes it's if I eat cheese or um, like white flour after like noon, 
the day before. So <laughs> I'm like constantly this like sleep sleuth. I'm trying to figure out what's getting in my way and why, and why do I keep doing this to myself? <laughs> and I'm wondering if you ever do that kind of analysis with your clients to try and understand maybe they don't need sleeping pills. They just need to pay more attention to the things that get in the way of their quality of sleep. A hundred percent. Yes. This is exactly the kind of questioning and kind of hallways that I meander down mm-hmm. and and asking a lot of questions. And because and maybe it's because of my history of being a CPA and being a really data driven, process driven, analytical person by nature. It, I think that in combination with curiosity can lead to some really powerful revelations. And so, you know, a lot of times, especially in the early stages, like I, I typically work for clients over about a nine month model. Um, and that gives us time to sort of go down these pathways, but also to do data collection. So I know like right now with at least one of my clients that I'm working with, you know, we are doing, you know, just for a three week period in between our appointments, doing a, like a pretty comprehensive um, food diary and sleep diary. So looking at like, okay, when did you sleep? How much sleep did you get? Where are you in your cycle? Exactly. Like you were talking about, you know, and, and then kind of we sit down together. Like I'll usually ask for it in advance of the session so I can go through it. Cause you know, I've been doing this for seven years and analyzing data is something that comes very easy. So I can when I'm not trying to have a conversation with someone at the same time, I can go through it, you know, in 15 or 20 minutes and often see some of the triggers that you mentioned. And and these are common ones that a lot of women deal with, um, you know, and and so many of our health conditions can be fleshed out like that. You know, f- for me, at one point, I was suffering with significant migraines. And of course, the data geek in me was like, okay, Every time I have a migraine now, I'm going to write down when I got it. I'm going to write down what I ate, you know, from what I can remember in the previous day. I'm going to start noting like where I am in my cycle because I had, you know, read that this could be hormonally exacerbated by hormonal conditions, you know, and I started just like not collecting every bit of data and making yourself mental, but like what are the what are the most likely pieces of data you can collect and then just tracking it. And I think it took me probably about four or five months, which I think a lot of people are really impatient about. Like, like I want this migraine to stop now. And trust me, I did too. But, but having to take an Excedrin and be like caffeinated to the point where I like couldn't even sit still or focus wasn't the answer for me either. And so I very quickly learned it was a particular day when I was still taking birth control and on that day, it was like a recipe for a migraine. Like I, you know, and, you know, by month six or seven, I was like, all right, I need to, I need to look at now I need to back up again and look at like, what kind of relationship do I want to have with this birth control? And what are, you know, what are some of my other options? Mm-hmm. I love and that, that made it, and that made it go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so much detective work, but it's so important instead of just getting on migraine medication and not dealing with the actual problem. I love that. Yeah. Um, all right. So I love that we got into what you do because everyone needs to know about it. And now I want to talk about the other thing you do, which is public speaking. And yeah. how does public speaking fit into your work? It actually, it it takes on a, a bunch. Of, it's sort of the thing that's in the cracks between the three things that I do. And so like if we if we look at what I do as a business owner, you know, one piece of it is working privately with clients like you and I were just sort of talking about. And then another piece of it is um, earlier this year starting Le Vital Course Salon, which is the podcast for frazzled type A women, imposters. And I mean, generally just women who are feeling stressed out and need some some reminders that they too are entitled to a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. And, and, you know, the third piece is sort of a little playful piece that you were a big part in getting me to push go on because it sounded kind of mental when I first was talking about it, but like the 33k task list project, which is, 
my endeavor to collect 33,000 handwritten task lists from women and eventually make some art. Um, you know, current thinking is, is sort of a bigger installation, but I've got plenty of time because it's going to take me a while to collect all of those task lists. But speaking is kind of like this glue that pops up in all those kind of orbits that I, that I circle in here at Vital Core. I know everybody has their own method of getting ready behind the scenes, like putting together their talk, deciding what to wear, deciding what kind of energy to bring into the room. What are they going to leave their audience with? And I'm wondering what your process is like to prep for it, because I think there's so much wisdom and insight into like how everyone does it that we could maybe learn from to, to improve our own process. So what do you do when it comes to understanding your audience and, you know, speech writing and stuff like that? When you are preparing to talk to a room full of people, it is so important that you start with the question. And, you know, I am not a public speaking expert. This is just my humble opinion. And you can certainly weigh in. But I think one of the most important questions that you have to ask yourself, what do you want them to feel? And what do you want them to learn? Like considering those two things before you go on and on about how awesome you are and how much you know and where you're the subject matter expert and what this can do for your business. And but really starting with like kind of what do you want them to feel? What do you want them to learn? And when you ask those two questions, you really have to push yourself and challenge yourself to understand who are the people that are going to be in the room to the best of your ability before you even start writing. And then when it comes to putting a talk together, do you like to tell stories? Do you like to do like interactive exercises or is it always different? It's different a lot of the time. So I'll usually work with whoever's booking me and, and kind of, you know, give them some choice, but mostly again, I will, I am like a four-year-old some days. It drives my husband nuts. Like he can't get away with anything because I ask so many questions. And so, you know, usually when I'm working with someone who's bringing me in, it's like you're 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 inviting me and and especially when you're paying me, you're paying me because you want your crowd to achieve something or feel something or experience something like interviewing them <laughs> um, until they get a little bit clearer. And then at that point, I can say, you know, with the size group you're talking about and the demo you're talking about and kind of the topic you want me to bring, this might be better as a workshop. And, he, you know, are you down with that, with, with that work? And, you know, if it's a room of a thousand people, then that changes things and that has to be more of a, a keynote. But I, I tend to be pretty, pretty casual about things. And, you know, a friend uh, a couple of years ago had made the joke that I like to tell carables. You know, they're, <laughs> they're these parables from my life experience and often involve some, some situation that blew up in my face or I, I had to learn the lesson the hard way. Um, one question I'm asked all the time that I think is interesting and surprising is how do you prepare for a speech, like in terms of your mindset and bringing the right energy into the room? And I guess I do it differently every time, but I want to pass this question along to you because it seems to be something that people really want to know. Do you have a set, I guess, strategy to get yourself in the right frame of mind before you get on stage? Um, I still get pretty nervous, truth be told. It, it is, I mean, I think now I can reframe it thanks to a very wise woman once saying, like, think of it as excitement instead of stress. <laughs> <laughs> And for those of you who can't see me winking and smiling through the microphone, I'm talking about Angela. <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is feeling prepared in general. Like if I've put together a good speech and I have practiced it, I, that goes along, you know, leading up to those last 24 hours. Um, not being overly ambitious with the amount of material that I'm going to dump on them is also very important. So I have been known sometimes in that last 24 hours to actually just like scratch out a bunch of stuff um, and and temper my own 
my own ego and my own pace in a way, like what I want them to have. But and then kind of, you know, in the last couple of days leading up to it, like recognizing not everyone has has been looking at their own life in the way that I have, you know, or has been talking to women privately about their own health for seven years. So I have to sometimes recognize, like, break it down a little bit and not overwhelm people. Because one of the things I've seen, and it and it breaks my it breaks my heart, especially when it's fellow health and wellness practitioners, is just like they give a really like compelling speech and a breakdown of how some function of the body works, and they make it really accessible and like everyone's you know, listening. And then at the end, they're like, here's the 17 giant scary changes that if you put this into place, you will have perfect health and perfect life. Yeah. Right. Have have you seen that, Angela? (laughs) Yes. Does it make you cry? Like it makes me cry. It's like had them, they were so ready to make a change or two or maybe three. And then they stopped writing down like all the suggestions you were giving them because it, it wasn't, possible for them to integrate it in any real way without stressing the fuck out yeah (laughs) got way too complicated so I think I think just like check yourself like in that last day like if you were insert the type of audience member that is going to be in front of you would you be able to to hack all of this material and and so making sure that it fits your audience a little and you're not going to overwhelm them and that you're practiced And then like literally taking care of yourself in the day or so before, like, you know, if like you were talking about different triggers, you know, that mess up your sleep, I think looking at how you can get good sleep and good hydration and some good food in you. And, you know, if you're someone who's eating candy bars three meals a day, like instantly adding like 18 servings of fruits and vegetables will probably send you into digestive distress. So you may not want to like go crazy like modifying your diet the day or two before (laughs) but like as a baseline like make sure you're hydrated that's gonna lead you to be sort of like fuzzy headed and low energy make sure you've had a good meal you want to make sure that your blood sugar is not low Mm -hmm. um you know especially in the hours leading up to it like you want to you want to have some good proteins fats fiber along with any carbohydrates so that you're not in the middle of your speech and then completely bonk and get hangry and anxiety creeps in and your thoughts are kind of just sticky and not clear. Yeah. I, I found out the hard way not to eat right before a talk and then to also maybe eat like three hours before a talk for that reason. Cause I would either be so full that I was like drowsy and I couldn't focus or I'd be so hungry that I was running out of energy and couldn't listen or pay attention to what other people were saying or what I was saying. And I find I mix up words when I'm really tired. Or I'm yes. not, I don't have energy. Yeah. So that's... I just meander. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about during the talk, being able to be present with the audience and maybe adjust when things don't feel like they're going in the right direction. How do you notice when things, you know, your, your planned talk isn't going the way you hoped it would? And what do you do when you notice it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, no matter how much you've planned and how much you thought you you got the audience right or I mean, you never know. I mean, I think about, you know, after the election recently, I mean, everyone was kind of twisted. I can't imagine having to get up and, and give a talk that next day. You know, there are just some things outside of your control and the energy in the room may be just totally off. And that may have something to do with your talk and it may not. But at the end of the day, you are on the stage and and you're the one who probably is in the the driver's seat, I guess, is I'm fumbling for my words now. But just you're the one who's most going to be able to manipulate that energy and maybe save it if if things aren't going so well. But yeah, and your audience is looking to you for that because you are the leader since you're on stage. Yeah, yeah, like you you are there and they want you to succeed. But sometimes it's like, it's just a bunch of mixed energy in the room. Um, I found if one of the questions I asked, I ask a lot of times now when I'm booking a talk, are the participants coming by choice or are they made to be there? Yeah. Cause 
Because I think one of the, you know, one of the things I learned after a couple of experiences where it was like a mandatory, you know, I was like the mandatory speaker that they had to listen to during their, you know, day long training or whatever. And that is sometimes a, a tough energy to get over. Like when, you know, you have some people that are really, really engaged and excited to be there and participating and then you have other people in the back that are sort of whispering and shifting around and not paying attention. And they're just like, yeah, I just wanted to get out of my office. I don't really care what you're saying, lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, I think it's important for us to be ourselves and be confident in that moment and recognize like it's not personal sometimes. Like, you know, that just we have to be in our space like, okay, they don't like me or they don't like my message or they don't like being here. Whatever the reason is, it it might not be about me, which can keep us from going to that place of like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible speaker. What am I doing here? Why am I on stage? And like getting away from the energy we want to be putting out in the room. I know that sounds kind of woo woo, but does that make sense? No, it does. Absolutely. I think energy is such a huge part of being a great presenter because if you don't pick up on that, then you miss what your audience is going through. And maybe it's early in the morning and everyone's tired and you present it, you put together a presentation of a bunch of like graphs and data and everyone's just going to be bored and they're not going to care. But you have to notice that first and then go, all right, let's switch things up. Let's see if we can make this more interesting. Right. And it is just about energy. Yeah. And I think there is just some really basic things you can do. And, and maybe this is just from from years of coaching. And I, I do a lot of coaching by phone or by Skype. So sometimes I don't have the the nonverbal visual cues. Like I'm just like hearing voices. So that's that's helped me over the years, like learn how to use um, vocal dynamics a little bit more. Right. Like you think of like radio, like morning radio shows and the speakers are really excited because they know you are just dying on your way to work on your morning commute. Yeah. And you, you know, and you can hear the difference even like just basic, you know, radio shows in the evening and stuff like that. Like if, if you listen to NPR and their their interviewers were like talking to you like that, you'd go bananas. So you you know, you have to use those, those vocal dynamics, you know, you can use your own body language. Um, I think sometimes a constructive use of swearing can someone, can sometimes get someone's attention where they're like, did she just say that? (laughs) And it kind of, it kind of clues them in a little bit. Um, and, and sometimes being unafraid of silences or 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 making a pivot like just saying like hey everyone here looks like they're dying right now like <laughs> what's going on should we should we make this a Q&A like how can we make this more accessible and and being brave about like they invited you because you're a subject matter expert and so so stand in that place and own it and be okay like it's it's just a format change All right, let's jump into the lightning round. We have five quick questions with Kara. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? For this one, I would say, say yes to opportunities and start speaking now. Not next month, not when the moon and the stars are in perfect alignment or we have a super moon again in like 78 years, (laughs) not when you've read 47 more books on, on your topic. But like, really, just say yes. You you will figure it out and you will have something to offer people. Yes, I love it. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I don't know if this is the greatest operating philosophy, but I will share it because it's three words that come to me an awful lot and I hashtag the hell out of it sometimes. But it's make it happen. And I, I probably have to give give credit to a group called Playgroup, which put out a song called Make It Happen like years ago. And I listened to that until my head wanted to fall off. But I, I think it's I think it's so important, you know, like it's not just make it happen, but it's also like maybe the corollary here is or the the complimentary statement is 80 percent is good enough. Right. Like I. 
like on the podcast, for example, I talk to other women about how they don't let bullshit or burnout slow them down. But sometimes that bottleneck is actually ourselves trying to overthink, overplan, and overdo things to the point that nothing ever makes it out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I guess it's just recognize it's good enough. Like you can you can course correct. And I think this is something that you're genius at, you know, really like getting something 75, 80 percent. I don't know what your percentage is done and then like okay I can fix that other 20% like I got what it takes yeah I don't even know what my percentage is but you know now you're making me think about it (laughs) you're absolutely right it's like I think I'm just always trying to avoid being perfect because that's the curse of death of like oh it's the kiss of death of creating anything the kiss of death yeah exactly it's like Oh, I have this idea, but I need to probably wait seven to 10 years before I really get it right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm on, this is, I think, going to be episode like 29 or 30, and I'm still just figuring out how to do a podcast. <laughs> yeah, you let me, let me know how it goes. I think I have episode like six rolling out this week. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. I should do that next time. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a process. So number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Um, this was this was question was especially poignant because I think that was probably like one of the lowest points of my life. Um, I would say don't do work you hate, period. <laughs> life is way too short. And I was working like 80 plus hour weeks, traveling like 90% of the time, working in a hostile work environment that was predominantly men. And my guts were so twisted into knots on the daily that I eventually shat my pants when I was boarding a plane and this woman would not let me pass to use the bathroom. It was like one of those things where I was like super duper late and I was like racing to the airport because a partner had kept me until the last possible minute. And it was like, do I risk missing this last flight out today or and like not be able to go home for the weekend or do I just hope that people will let me like jump over all their luggage to get to the restroom in the back of the plane? And there was literally one woman whose face I can still see to this day that I think she was convinced I was going to take her spot on the overhead. (laughs) And so it was like, it was one of the most shameful and embarrassing moments of my life. And just, there is nothing that will make you existentially take a look at your life and figure out if this is the trajectory you want to be on for the next 75 years than an incident like that just shitting your pants in public like it just yeah <laughs> and really changes things yeah it i like really it there it is just such a sensory experience and and sorry to anyone who's a little queasy listening but you know it 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 was really important and a lot of what a lot of what was triggering and exacerbating that right like cuz ibs was exacerbated by stress was really around i hated like deep down with my soul i hated the work that i was doing i hated the path i was on and you know i joke with my clients you know a lot of the time that like especially the ones that are very like they come to me and they're like, well, I'm vegan and I only eat organic food and, you know, I'm taking really good care of myself. But if like if you're in a job that you hate, if you are in a relationship that you hate, if you are in this life experience that you hate, you could eat a dump truck full of kale and it's probably not going to change things. Mm. <laughs> what advice do you have for your 75 year old self? <sighs> um. I have faith that I will still be moving and learning, so I probably don't have to to give myself that advice. Um, I would say I hope my 75-year-old self will still be monkeying around with new technology. I mean, I'm fascinated by this. Like here, you're in Western Mass. I'm here in New Jersey. You know, I have some days where I'm doing a client session with someone in New York City recording a podcast with someone in Montreal. And then, you know, later in the day, I catch up with a friend in London. And, you know, I I think technology is really amazing. And sometimes we like get, I know I do anyways, get kind of like log jammed by it. 
So I hope I hope that I keep up with the the technology that fascinates me and and not kind of be left in the dust as a grandma or be crotchety about it. <laughs> yeah, or or fearful. I mean, worse, fearful of it. Mm. And, and and made to feel powerless by it. Mm-hmm. And saying things like, well, back in my day, we just used pay phones. So <laughs> figure it I was out. Rec- I was recently in Montreal, and Montreal still has a ton of pay phones. And I was like, whoa, I wonder if kids today are like, what are those? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder <laughs> why. Did, everyone has cell phones, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're an incredibly wired town. <laughs> What's up with that? All right. Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Angela, you caused me to like work my brain for about 30 minutes on this one (laughs) driving back from Montreal yesterday. Um, This one really, really stumped me. And maybe it was just because I was in the car, but I, I kept going back to it like, it would be something practical with multiple purposes because that's sort of my speed. <laughs> um, and the thing I came to is is my my Subaru Impreza, right? Like June, her name is Junebug after June Carter Cash. But um, you know, I think just it's practical, it's reliable, it's meant to get through any condition, including a snowstorm. It has room for friends and. You know, it was funny. I when I woke up this morning, I thought, "Oh my god!" And their ads also talk about love. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna go with my my Subaru Impreza Junebug. Do you also feel like you're shiny and you handle well? Yes, I do. I hope I'm making it through this this interview, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do think you are a Subaru Impreza to the core. <laughs> you should get a Subaru logo on your arm. <laughs> Oh my God, can you imagine? I've always wanted a tattoo and I'm getting close to 40 and I keep thinking I really should get around to this. I know. Maybe, maybe that's the answer. Yeah. <laughs> really, you know, and then when people ask, be like, well, I'm glad you asked. Then you can go into all the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? So this is a great question. I love this one. And for me, it's about using your voice boldly and powerfully to make a positive impact in the world. You know, I think we probably don't even need a stage or, you know, for me, a podcast or for you, a podcast. You know, I think it's really and and especially important for women. And so I'd like to say, because this is kind of how I roll too, don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. You know, there are simple ways to be using your voice and claiming the stage. And that can be as simple, you know, if you're a student raising your hand in class and assertively giving an answer. If you're in the working world and you're you're always tentative in meetings or don't think your ideas matter, to raise your hand and again speak assertively. You know, and and in these times where we're we're seeing unprecedented violence and and extremism, I think, you know, even just stepping in and using what would be meaningless chit chat to create a diversion if you witness someone getting bullied or verbally assaulted these days, you know, I would say just use your voice, just claim that stage, stand on it with two feet upright, proud. I love it. Um, Kara, is there anything you want to share with my audience? I know you, you have a couple of really exciting things going on that they need to know about. Yeah, I, I, on a, on a higher level, I want to remind every woman listening and men, you too, you count, but I think women especially need to hear this message that you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. It's not just for other women that you read about or hear about, or, you know, for me or for Angela, you know, bullshit and burnout need not slow you down. And I think, on a smaller and kind of pluggy, shameless plug level. You know, this is something I talk about twice a month at Le Vital Course Salon, which is my podcast. And I would really love for you to come over and and take a listen. I try to invite diverse guests, which they're all generally women at this point. I'm, I'm still sort of contemplating how men fit into this mix. But for right now, it's all women and for women. And you know, I want you to come take a listen and and 
there'll be different topics we cover. And as you can see from Angela and, and my conversation today, we sort of circle around, but we get somewhere. Um, <laughs> but come and, and have fun with us. If you have a guest you'd love me to reach out to, I'd love to hear it. If you have any feedback, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. And I was the second guest on your show. So if anyone wants to hear my interview, you might want to get over there. Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Also, I just want to give you a plug for your writing skills. Like from the day I met you, whenever, 75 years ago, no, like seven years ago, <laughs> I was so blown away by your amazing copywriting skills. Like everything you write is just so like engaging and fun and different and visual. And no matter what it is, I'm just like, it's so well articulated and you, you have such a unique style. I think everyone should, should sign up for your newsletter so they can experience your writing. And just like, I think reading it makes me a better writer. So it's, it's really great to have that in my inbox. And I always read it now. I'm like, oh man, this is so good. Every time. It's always good. So thanks for that. <laughs> and I also want to give another plug for your 33K task list project, which I think is so amazing. And I can't wait until it comes together and I can hang out in that trailer and read all these people's to-do lists. Cause I think it's such an interesting idea and it's such a, a window into people's lives in such a unique way. And I'm still scared to send you my to-do list. And I don't know why, but every time I throw one away, I'm like, God, I should have given that one to Kara. Oh my God, Kara, don't put them in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's so funny because I have very little anxiety when it comes to doing most things. But something about sending you my to-do list makes me so nervous. So I'm constantly like, okay, next week's will be better. And I'll send her that one. But I'm good. I will send you one in the next couple of weeks. I promise. <laughs> and honestly, if 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 you're you're experiencing this, so I'm guessing others may be experiencing it too. You can like if there's anything identifying like a name or a an area code that you think like just black it out. Like I'm not looking at these so so closely. Like I'm trying to just like as as they come into me. You know, and a lot of them are coming anonymously, too. So that's something equally, you know, equally OK. You know, as they're coming in, if I'm actually trying to make them anonymous to me as well. So as they come in, if they have a note or, you know, a note to me, like, good job, keep going, you know, anything like that, I'm actually separating it into two, two boxes. I don't want my energy and my hopes for the project to get kind of mixed up into these pieces of paper that that do have so many hopes, aspirations, obligations, emotions kind of embedded into the fabric of the paper, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if it would be interesting to ask women who haven't submitted their list yet why they haven't, but I'm feeling like I need to talk about it with somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need- You're... You're sending it to a pretty non-judgmental person who's like hoping to not be able to identify whose list is whose. And so like, you know, I'm doing my best to like just kind of you go in this box and someday we'll take you out again. I appreciate that. You know, you would think I'm an axe murderer by the way I'm talking about sharing my to-do list. It's like, what do you do during the day that you can't tell us about? Like, like I'm not actually doing anything that interesting. It's like send blog out, like write newsletter, record podcast. Stuff the dead bodies under the bed. Yeah, but I don't I don't usually write that stuff down, you know? That just happens. It's like I remember to do that. I don't know why like hearing this conversation makes me want to go watch like So I Married an Axe Murderer later, but <laughs> it does. Well, anyway, I think everyone should check out your site um, and learn more about the 33K task, task list project and also the Levital Core Salon podcast. So how can we find you? Where's your, what's your website? Yeah. So, I mean, you can go to poowhisperer.com, but my, really? my grown up big girl. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> But my my grown up big girl website that I use ninety nine point nine percent of the time is vitalcore c o r p s wellness dot com, and if 
if you heard us talking about something or you see something on my website that intrigues you, you can go to the contact page and reach out to me or you can just drop me an email, Kara at vitalcorewellness.com. It's that easy. Awesome. I just went to poowhisperer.com and took me to your website. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. I need to have some some of those forwarded my, to my website. Maybe axemurderer.com. <laughs> totally. There you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much for being on my show today, Kara. It was really great to talk with you about what you do and, and why you do it and all your, your public speaking tips and just kind of getting into more of how you operate and what, what makes you tick. Because I think having conversations like these, like this one, is just a great way to show other women what's possible and that we don't need to be perfect in order to get started. And that, you know, sometimes having your own system and your own ways to deal with stress and fear having to do with public speaking is the best way to to sort of work through it. So I appreciate you sharing all your insights and, and, and funny stories <laughs> and thoughts with us today. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate just being able to talk about some of the things that I'm doing and hopefully someone new gets inspired by some piece of it and sends a task list or gives a gives a listen to the podcast and comes away with something that changes their life. That's why I get up and do what I do every day. Yay. Well, thanks for doing it. Well, there you have it, my friends, my interview with Kara Snyder. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please consider rating it and leaving a review if you're listening on iTunes. It's super duper simple. It takes like a minute and your review will help more people find the show. And if you're not already on my mailing list, you should definitely jump and maybe even do that weird weird wheelbarrow thing you used to do like in those races in in the summer. Do that to get over to my website, angelalucier.us, to sign up and get some special offers and public speaking tips and stuff I only really talk about in emails. All right. I want to thank my sponsors once again, McNally Communications. You can say it better. They'll show you how. You can find them at mcnallycommunications.com. And our second sponsor, Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. You can find them at namenetworth.com. All right, guys, that's it for me. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.